Well, as we as a church head into the fall, we always think that September is a good time to return to some of the basics as well, to talk about who we are as a church and what we're about. As people kind of come out of the summer, maybe they've taken some breaks, they've gotten out of some routines. Now they've come back in the fall with a desire to establish some routines, maybe some daily or weekly rhythms. And what we're doing is really extending to those of you uh, who are interested an invitation to return to the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, we want to orientate ourselves uh, and our church around a simple word, and that word is with, simply to be with God and to be with others. And I think today this seems more relevant than ever. You see, when we were kind of processing this vision back in June and July and into August, we really had no idea what September would bring. And doesn't it feel a little bit like our culture is stressed? That it feels like it's about to sort of come apart at the seams a little bit. There's tension. There's strongly held opposing views. The divisiveness that I sense is is more deeply entrenched than ever. There even appears at times to be just this animosity, almost a hatred towards one another when you you kind of see this rhetoric, um, even in social media or in other places. Sometimes it feels like we just need a, like a big group hug, doesn't it? You know, I mean, at, when we can, when we can get within six feet of each other, we should, we should probably do that. But I have to tell you that as a pastor, as one who cares deeply about people, this just feels really heavy to me. And, and I, just, I just sense a, a deep burden. And I know many of you share that for where we're at as a culture right now. And I think the question that we have to ask, and that's what I think brings the timing of this so relevant to me, is that how do we as followers of Jesus, how do we then actually flourish in an environment like this where it just seems troubling? How how do we move forward where we're not just surviving this season, but in fact can actually thrive? To do this, I want us to look a little bit at a question that Jesus was asked. And this is, in essence, the question that Jesus was asked. How do we flourish in this season? In Jesus' time and in our time today, people always have had a desire to know how do we flourish with God and with others. Let me set the scene for you. Imagine, if you will... And we're looking at Matthew 22, by the way, this morning. Um, imagine, if you will, uh, we're into the, the, really near the end of Jesus' ministry. We're into his last days uh, before his crucifixion. And the Pharisees, they had tried to trap Jesus, and they had failed miserably. Then the Sadducees take a run at Jesus as well. And Jesus silences them in chapter 22 and verse 29 when he says, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Ouch! <laughs> that, that's like an uppercut, isn't it? Like Jesus hit them hard. You're in error, and you don't know the power of God. While that silences the Sadducees, well, it's the Pharisees' turn again. This time, they call on their best. 
He's described as an expert in the law, and they want him to test Jesus. You see, they're trying to trip him up. They're, they're trying to trap Jesus, get him to say something that's really going to put him offside. And so the expert in the law asks him this question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And I suspect when he said this, all those that heard him sat up a little bit, they leaned in a little bit, listened a little more closely. Because this was a common topic that was debated, debated often. And so many commands that, that, you see, the Jewish people, they had so many commands that they, they often tried to rank them, right? Which were the, the heavier commands? Which were the more important commands? Or which were the lighter ones and therefore maybe less important? How can we find them all? How can we kind of rank them and categorize them in a way that, that makes sense to us? That maybe, maybe we could even find one command that just summarizes them all. And they wanted simplicity. And that's not an unusual request, is it, or a desire? I think, I think we all like to simplify things a little bit, right? So when we ask that question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, we could sit here, we could come up with a long list of things, and we should do this, and maybe we shouldn't do that. But what is the Christian life all about when we boil it down what is it all about? And so that was the question that Jesus was asked. What about the answer that Jesus gave? Because Jesus, what do you think is the greatest? And Jesus answered in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, Pastor Adam did a fantastic job last week teaching on this first part of the great commandment. And so I'm not going to repeat it, but if you missed it, I'd encourage you to listen to it. And maybe even if you did hear it, you might want to go back and listen to it again. But Jesus wasn't finished there. That wasn't his full and complete answer. He continued, verse 39, he says, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like it? Didn't, didn't they just ask Jesus, uh, you know, for one, not two? And instead of one, Jesus gives them two? Love your neighbor as yourself. So you see, in the first instant, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, the Shema, or the Shema. And then he quotes here Leviticus 19, verse 18. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to actually turn there. And I want to just read this verse in context, because I think it's really helpful and insightful to see where this command, love your neighbor as yourself, sits in some of this teaching of Jesus. It begins in verse 11. We say, we read, do not steal. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. 
Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. And here it is. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, when we read that, we start to see what this command is all about, to love our neighbor. Because really, when we think about loving our neighbor, it really um, means that it starts to affect how we treat others. Do we offer to them our respect? Do we seek to protect their dignity? Do we stand for injustices? Do we stand in solidarity with them? And in this word love, it's important for us then to define it. Because, and and Pastor Adam touched on this last week as well, because just like our love for God, when Jesus uses the word here, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not um, speaking to an emotional feeling that we might have. This is having a a responsibility, he means, to, to be for the good of others, to be thinking about what is useful and beneficial for others. He uses the word here, agape. And it's very different than the way that our culture defines love. Because most of the time when we use love, we, we define it as some kind of romantic feelings, right? We're, we're attracted to someone, therefore, you know, it must be love. But we talk about love like we talk about our favorite food sometimes, right? I love pizza, and I do. I love pizza. But what I'm really saying is that I want to consume it. I want to eat it. I want it for my own pleasure. I desire it. And so often we confuse actually lust with love. And our cultural definition of love actually puts ourself at the center and it turns God and people into objects for our own personal gratification. What can we get from someone else? But agape love is not a feeling. It puts others at the center, not ourselves. It's a fierce commitment to being for others. It's an act of the will. It's a conscious decision that we make, and it is always shown by what it actually does for another person. Another definition of love that I use, sometimes I'll talk about this in in some premarital counseling, is that love is accurately assessing another person's needs and then adequately meeting those needs. Accurately accurately assessing so we know what the needs are and then actually adequately meeting those needs. This kind of love is an action. It's not affection. In other words, we give to someone what they need. We demonstrate care and compassion for them. We are for them, yes, and we're not against them. And if that isn't challenging enough, Jesus also makes it clear that this kind of love is not just directed at our neighbors, it's actually even directed at our enemies. In Leviticus, I don't know if you caught that in verse 17 when it says, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. This is maybe somebody that there's great animosity with. You would consider them almost your enemy, even though they are, uh, you know, the same, same race as you. 
And in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that his followers should what? Love their enemies. And we had a sermon on that, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. You can maybe go listen to it if you're challenged to think about what does it mean to love your enemies? But yes, we are to love those. Listen carefully to this, friends, because I think this is exactly where we're at in our culture right now. We need to love those with opposing views to our own. Those that have different political views. There are those who voted differently than than we did in the federal election this past Monday. But love your neighbor, Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if we want to understand how we ought to posture ourselves towards others, he says, well, love them as you would yourself. In other words, treat them with the same love and respect that we have for ourselves. In another teaching, again, still in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made another very similar summary to all of the law and the prophets when he said in chapter 7, verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. We know that what is the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And Anna said that in the children's spotlight, didn't she? Basically, you know, well, how do we want to be treated? Do we want people to be kind and compassionate and considerate to us? Or do we want them to be mean and rude to us? Do to others what you would have them do to you. Well, let me just give you some thoughts about Jesus' answer here because... I think it's helpful just to think through this. And there may be other things that come to mind as you're thinking about this, but here's some things that I got from some of my reading and some some, uh, sermons that I listened to as well. Number one, Jesus elevated love above all other commands. He elevated love above all other commands. You see, when it comes to the core of the Christian life, love is the most basic and fundamental command. So love can never be overstated. And what I think is so beautiful here is that Jesus offers this wonderful simplicity. Because when the world is complex and confusing, when we feel overwhelmed, maybe even frustrated, we can always fall back on this. Oh yeah, okay, what am I about? Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And there's really just one command here to love, but it's expressed in these two directions, toward God and to our neighbors. And how do we love God? That was last week's message. Again, go and have a listen if you haven't already. But how do we love people? That's what we're talking about today, and I'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus elevated love above all other commands. Secondly, another thought about Jesus' answer is that he connects loving God and loving people. These two are inseparable. So put another way, loving God cannot be separated from loving people. See, there's a very basic way of understanding this. If we love God, we love what he created, and he created people, and so we love them. In John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And then in verse 12, he goes on to say, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And that simple object lesson of Anna pouring the water from the pitcher into the cup and it overflowing is true. We recognize that God has loved us. 
We express our love to God, but we can't somehow separate our love for God from our love for people. And you see, it's relatively easy, I think, to say that we love people, that we love humanity, kind of in broad general terms. We say that's true. But it's much harder to love our neighbor, maybe even a family member, those who are in relational proximity to us, people who are different from us, people who have opposing views, maybe people who annoy us or even frustrate us. But friends, we always come back to this. We love because He first loved us. My last thought about Jesus' answer is this. Jesus uses love to measure our spiritual maturity. That the measure of our spiritual maturity over time is the degree to which we are able to love. You see, our temptation and maybe even our default is to measure our spiritual maturity in terms of what we do, right? We go to church, and if we do that more, we must be more mature. We, we give more. We, we serve more. We, we read our Bibles more. We pray more. And if we pray longer, then we must be more spiritually mature. But Jesus is saying that there is actually a very simple way of measuring our spiritual maturity. And it's simply asking ourselves this question. Am I becoming more loving. Over time, am I becoming more loving? Right now, I'm not always that loving. I'm a little cranky. I'm a little on edge. But I think if my family would say, go back 10 years, I think I've matured. I think I've grown a little bit. But that is what we're talking about here. That Jesus is saying that there's actually this very simple measure that, that, that the goal really is becoming a person of love. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says, <clears throat> excuse me, loving people well is the defining characteristic of a maturing Christian. Loving people well is the defining characteristic of a maturing Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. There are spiritual disciplines and practices, some of which I, I listed off already. They're important. They're just not a measure of spiritual maturity. You see, those practices, those disciplines in and of themselves uh, are a means to an end. They're not the end itself. And spiritual practices are intended to deepen our love for God and for others. And Pastor Adam touched again last week on, on this, and I'll come back to the topic of practices in just a little bit. <clears throat> but if we do what Pete Scazzaro says we ought to, make love the measure of your spiritual, ma- spiritual maturity, I think then that we might want to think about, well, then how do we love well? Because we can define love, but then how do we actually live it out in reality? What practices might we pursue? And so how, do, how might we love well? You see, when we're talking about these themes this fall, as we get ready to launch into a, a fuller series on the book of Colossians, I think it's just important to state again, as we go back to these basics, it's a reminder that our desire for TCC is to be a community where people are known and know others. 
that there's this relational connection where love runs deep, that we are a community, that individually and collectively we are becoming more loving. So how do we do that? Let me just give you three words for you to think about and to kind of hang your hat on this morning. The first I'm just going to say is look around. Just look around you, whether it's right here, whether it's at home, around the the device that you're watching this, whether it's around your neighborhood. Who has God called you to love? Who are the people in those circles that you see when you look around? In short, we ought to love everyone. Friends and foes, rich and poor, black and white, everyone. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, uh, our neighbor is actually identified as anyone who is in need. And and in that context, there's an interesting exchange that takes place between Jesus and another expert in the law. And again, the great commandment is shared, but it's not Jesus saying it. It is actually the expert in the law saying it back to Jesus. And maybe you're familiar with the exchange a little bit, but basically this expert in the law comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's an important question. What must I do, right? Like, he's basically asking the same kind of question we're asking. How do we flourish? How do we enjoy life here, now, abundantly, and eternal life? And Jesus turns this question kind of back on him and says, well, well, what's written? What do you think? And the expert answer, because he's already heard the answer before, I'm sure, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right, that's it. That's what it comes down to. Just do that and you will live. But the expert in the law wasn't satisfied with that answer. He, this text says that he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? See, what he's really asking is, is how can I narrowly define the people that I'm going to love? <clears throat> and Jesus tells, them, tells him, of course, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I won't go into all of the detail on the parable, but basically the issue is that Jesus says it's not so much about who your neighbor is, but are you being a good neighbor? Are you being a loving neighbor? Do I love well? And so when it comes down to this, we need to think about our neighbor is anyone who is in need. And if you think about your own life, we all have needs. And so when you look around, you see people who are needy. You see people with needs that are probably other than your own, but they also have needs. So the first thing we need to do is look around. Who are the people that God has placed in my path, in my circles, that I need to love? And then secondly, I need to listen. Because if I don't know what their needs are, all I need to do is listen. Listen to them, talk, and you will hear what their needs are. Listen as well to the Holy Spirit. And as you're in conversation with other people, you can ask questions and then listen well. Seek to understand rather than to be understood. Listen with your heart, right? You know, ask yourself, like, 
put myself in their shoes. What are they feeling right now? Come at it from a perspective of compassion and empathy, not just with our head. I mean, what needs are they expressing? And their needs might be for security. They might be looking for comfort. They, they, they might need encouragement in that moment. Maybe they just need to be respected. Maybe they need some support. But as we listen, we will be able to determine what their needs really are. What are they really asking for? And if that is accurately assessing their needs, then how do I meet those needs? That's the question. So these are the questions I really think that we need to ask ourselves in this moment. How do we love well in the midst of opposing views? How do I love others well? I know we're in disagreement, but how can I love well? How do I show that I care? What can I do to take care of the people around me? How can I demonstrate it? What is the most loving thing that I can do to care for the vulnerable among us? Those are the kind of questions that we need to be asking ourselves when it comes to this, this, this command of loving our neighbors. How do I love well? And so we look around, we listen closely, And then probably the most difficult is we lay down. We lay down our rights, our privileges, our entitlements. Because I don't know about you, but if you look at the way that Jesus has defined love, you can't love without sacrificing. You can't love without giving something up. And again, in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life. We see this definition of love again in 1 John 3, verse 16 through 18. And there John writes this, he says, excuse me, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, right? They have no compassion on them. There is no love for this person. And John says, well, then how can the love of God be in that person? Do you see John even carry Jesus' teaching forward that love for God and love for people is inseparable? And so John goes on, he says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's how we demonstrate our love for someone else is when we actually take tangible action that we do something to demonstrate our love because that's what Jesus did for us. And so to lay down means that I don't put my wants above the needs of others. So to love well is to sacrifice. Listen to these challenging words from the Apostle Paul. This is from his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit right? So in other words, don't do anything for your own sake. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, to love our neighbor is to give ourselves to them and to do for them and for them only what is for their good. Michael Wilkins writes, he says, love is the unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which one gives oneself to another to bring the relationship to God's intended purposes. Love is the unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which one gives oneself to another to bring the relationship to God's intended purposes. What is God's intended purpose for us? That we would love well, just as Jesus did. And so we look around, we listen, we lay down. Practically speaking, how do we do that? Let me give you just a couple of practices that you might choose to engage in. We've been talking a little bit more about some of these practices. We've put up this discipleship framework that you see here now that we talk about that there's a teaching component to our discipleship. There's a community component where we're in relationship with others. And then there's practices that we engage in. And it's the Holy Spirit that is at work in all of these things, teaching us, helping us do the practices for the right reason, uniting our hearts in community. And over time, we mature. But really, discipleship is about how we reorder the priorities of our lives, and in particular, how we prioritize our loves. And so how do we engage in practices that ultimately direct our love towards God and others? What is it that we pursue? How do we reorder our lives? What are some of the rhythms of, uh, of our lives And it's important to remember that these practices or these spiritual disciplines, they're a means to an end, not the end itself. Because the end goal is to become more like Jesus. And in this context, to become a person of love. And just as silence and solitude or worship and celebration, Sabbath, prayer, scripture reading, fasting, abstaining, that those are all directed at God, there are practices that can become part of our own regular rhythms of life that can be directed at others. And I'm just going to touch on these here, but I want to again direct you to Pastor Adam's equip class because you'll spend some time on each one of these practices just processing this. And this is, like Adam said last week, this is just a working document. We're just kind of sorting this out as we go, and um, we'd love to hear your feedback on this. But let me just touch on three really quickly. One is the practice of community itself. Yes, it's a fundamental part of of our discipleship framework, but this is just to say that we need to prioritize relationships. That we need to make space in our weekly um, rhythms of of life. Where we find a small group to to engage in. Maybe it's the equip class to attend. Maybe it's a triad that you say, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about how God is forming us and transforming us. Maybe it's gathering with some ladies at Refresh. Whatever it is that you experience some measure of community because we need each other. And loving relationships are crucial. And it's in the context of these relationships that we can learn to love well, that we can practice loving one another. 
And community is absolutely crucial in the context of church. We're not just a bunch of disengaged people that just kind of come in, leave your coat on, and head straight for the doors. And I know that this season is terrible for actual development of community. But that doesn't mean that we can't find ways to do it. Because we have to push back against a culture that celebrates individualism right? That celebrates me, myself, and I, right? That, 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 that you know, I'll stop. Um, but it's in the sense of community where we practice one another's. The one another commands of the New Testament, it's all throughout the New Testament. You can't do that apart from community, these expressions of love, we carry one another's burdens, we encourage one another, we share with one another, right? We confess to one another. These are, these are all so vital to the formation and the transformation that God wants to do in our lives. And so we practice community, and it's a place to live out uh, loving relationships. Another area is hospitality. This is a practice. And I want to make a little distinction here by saying that I believe there's a gift of hospitality. The Bible talks about that. And some of you have that gift where you just have this natural ability to make people feel welcome. You're a good host. You, you're a great cook. You, 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 you invite people into your home. And usually it's with people that are like us, right? And people that we like already. But then there's the practice of hospitality. Sitting down with people who don't think or act like you do me. Like that we do. That, that maybe the only thing that we have in common is, in fact, Jesus. I want to encourage you. I hope someday, someday soon, that we can get back to even whether it's our Coffee and Connect time that we had for a few weeks in September, or whether we actually see the day where we can have our full-on brunch and we gather. But here's my, my, my challenge to you, church is it was getting pretty obvious that in many ways it was easy to find your tribe, to find the people that you knew and were comfortable with, and you'd sit and have brunch with them. And the challenge, I think, to each of us is to open our eyes and to see how can we be the one to get to know people that we don't already know, to love them and to make them feel welcome. And hospitality actually also extends to the stranger and even to the one who doesn't know Jesus, to the one we love unconditionally and without an agenda. And maybe this is your neighbors, maybe even those neighbors that you've had weird relationships with. You've, they, they've dumped snow where they shouldn't have dumped snow or they cut down some of your shrubs that you didn't want cut down and you're feuding as neighbors. You know what? Get over it and, and say how can I build bridges? How, how can I engage in hospitality with my neighbors? Maybe it's as simple as starting with this, praying for them, listening to their needs, having conversation, maybe inviting them over for coffee or a meal, maybe even throwing a block party and getting to know more of your neighbors. But we can show hospitality where we really welcome people into um, <clears throat> into our homes and into our worlds and into our lives. And thirdly, I want to just say justice. <clears throat> and the question we need to ask is, if we are growing in our love for one another, is our discipleship, is our formation taking us closer to the marginalized? 
Do we pursue a simplicity in our own lives so that we can be more generous? Those can be really challenging questions, but maybe this means involvement in things like Refugee Bridge that you heard about. Because it's about justice. It's about rescuing people who are in horrific situations that have fled their home country all because of their faith in Jesus Christ and now are living in in terrible conditions, waiting for somebody to come alongside. That verse, Psalm 82, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them. Friends, we can be involved in justice ministries. Maybe it's as simple as child sponsorship through an organization like Compassion where you can make the difference in a child's life. And by making a difference in a child's life, you make a difference in their whole family. All I'm saying is that we need to consider in these days what it means to be with God and with others as we obey the command to love God, to love everyone every day and in everything that we do. We ask the hard questions, what does it look like to love well in this season? And I'm going to give the last word to the Apostle Paul, who clearly had picked up on the teaching of Jesus, as we've already seen, and he continually called followers of Jesus to this others-centered life. And the early church already lived and demonstrated this as they loved one another. And describing what life by the Spirit would look like. Paul wrote these words, Galatians 5, verse 13 and 14. Prayerfully consider this. Listen carefully. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Do you know what it is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, I pray that when this seems impossibly hard, we think about loving everyone, all of those around us, loving those with with needs, needs that might even seem beyond our own, you know, ability to meet. May we always remember, God, that you are with us, that we're not alone. And so, Father, I humbly ask that you help us to love well. And, Father, that you would help us, whether it's already during the course of this message or whether it is later as we take some time to reflect. Father, is there a person whom I need to love well? Is there someone that I need to spend more time with just to listen to their heart, their heart's cry, that maybe you have put me in a privileged position to meet that particular need? And Father, maybe, just maybe, you're calling us to lay something down. And when we know that loving well means to sacrifice and to give of ourselves. And so I pray, Father, that you give us the courage, that you give us the strength, that you give us all that we need. So that every day we can love well. 
we can love everyone in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.